Yes, and I said, I am not an experienced uh, speaker in this kind of context. I've done many lectures in several countries, academic lectures and so on, political. I have never in my life done a Dharma talk, not, not even dreamt of doing one. I've heard a few, and Sana, in her gracious way, uh, invited me to take this, uh, how would one call it? And there are many Zen images you may have seen this of a frog jumping into, a wa into the water. It's a little bit like that. I feel a little bit like a frog jumping into the water. Um, I begin, I have, part of it is that I did some studying more than I've done for a couple of academic lectures I've done this year. <laughs> because it was such an unusual challenge for which I would not prepare. I begin with something, I have a topic which is, reflects my status in relation to this temple, with which I have a long history, but also a kind of scattered history of up and down, coming and going, and lately coming a little bit, but not coming very much, and so on. And uh, so I'm trying to account for that, and I'm following a, um, a philosopher from my country of origin, Germany, a uh, famous statement, Nietzsche, he said, our only virtue is honesty. I once mentioned this to Samosunim, and he said, try to find me the place where you found it. I've forgotten where it is, but it's a famous statement, it's to say, it's the only virtue that remains after the end of um, the dominant Western traditions of Christianity and so on. So in a way, I'm trying to honestly account also for my relation to uh, the temple, to my participation off and on in the practice here or elsewhere. But I'll begin with something else, which is um, a text uh, from a famous poet of um, Austrian Czech, but uh, who wrote in German in the early part of the last century, uh, Rilke, Rainer Maria Rilke, who is very one of the great poets of the 20th century. And I begin with this. It's in the one of the elegies, the twelve, ten elegies, Duino elegies, they're called. In the first elegy, he says, writes this. Who, if I cried, would hear me from the order of angels? And even if one suddenly held me to his heart, I would dissolve there from his stronger presence. For beauty is only, this is the most famous line, for beauty is only in the beginning of a terror we can just barely endure. And what we so admire is its calm, disdaining to destroy us, every angel brings terror. There are many interpretations of this, uh, and I haven't gone through them lately, but one I have is that this, the angel stands actually for artistic inspiration, and the awe that an accomplished poet feels when he approaches doing his most famous work. Um, it is the challenge of art to transcend oneself towards something that is so demanding that one kind of is extinguished by the demand itself. So, yet, 
in the end, Rilke in the last elegy returns to something sort of everydayness. Everydayness that is, that is rec being reconciled to everydayness. And this is to me a little bit of what I want to address, what I feel I need to address also for myself, maybe also for some of you. Um, and it has to do with being, let me contrast this now with the Japanese uh, Zen poet, what he says, the most famous of all, Basho, Basho, I cannot pronounce it, I have no idea how the name is pronounced, very famous. Nothing but fleas and lice, and near to my pillow, the horse is pissing. Uh, the difference is, and this was in the, in the great European tradition, tradition of sonnets from Shakespeare, through Dante to Shakespeare to Rilke, you have you know, an enormous amount of words to do, to, to beautifully crafted words that put together a vision. And Basso just doesn't touch any of that. It is about as drastic and direct as possible. And haikus, the little I understand of haikus, I guess these Japanese forms as they're called, very short poems. In fact, there's a very strict rule. They only have so, to have so many syllables. They may not have too many. And uh, we cannot fathom that because if you don't know Japanese, you have no clue as to what that is. But, but it's a very strict rule, but it is it's like as direct as a punch. It is just to strike you immediately in, in your own being. And it is in a way that the poem is not to be read again and again, the way Rilke is you recite, or put Shakespeare's sonnets and so on, recite and that. This is just one strike at a time. And he has written many, many poems like that, not all equally drastic. Sometimes they're prettier. <laughs> this is extremely drastic. And when I read this, I thought, that is so different. And it, spe it speaks to, let us say, what I think is so important from Zen, and I now just say Zen rather than uh, Zen Buddhism. Um, it is, it is a kind of um, brings us into touch with, with uh, something very simple about us, which is that we are finite mortal beings who have a short time to live, and uh, I'm almost 80, so this is something I'm very conscious of. Uh, and uh, and uh, want to use this time well, and it means being uh, in the present moment. Or, that's what I think Basho is kind of expressing out, the, this, the force of the present moment. Now, actually, this, this poem, or poem, a text by Basho, I found in a book by, now, Sana has to help me, Quinan, the author is Korean. Byung Chul Han, he is a philosopher who teaches in Germany, or Switzerland, I forgot, in German, the book is written in German, philosophy of Zen Buddhism, and puts it into, in relation to topics from German philosophy, especially if you've ever heard the name Heidegger. Writes in German, quite amazing the way he does, and he puts into it a lot of these Zen poems. And uh, so just that you know, 
uh, where we are. I myself am so a retired academic. You can hear that, and um, I am um, and was uh, uh, you know, worked in philosophy to some extent in political theory, and uh, I have been associated with the temple actually for a long time. So I began. Uh, when I think whoever has read the, heard about the history of this, of the um, Society for Compassionate Wisdom in Toronto, it began in a in a in a basement, but then Queen Street down Queen and in, in uh, uh, Street is where some of them had. Uh, they were in a little house, and uh, uh, kind of redid it. It was quite nice, but then moved to this location. And, then I was with them in College Street. Then I kind of gave up for a while, and I recently reestablished contact, thanks to Sana's help, and also um, participated in a different practice with the uh, Tishnathan group. Some of you may know it, the, uh, um, um, the uh, uh, mindfulness uh, practice community that just meets on Saturdays uh, and doesn't have a temple. So. I have this connection, but uh, have always felt that I, my connection is that, let's say, of a lay member. Lay in, is, comes from a Greek word, laos, which means people, means in our sense, popular, i.e. I'm an, an ordinary person who has a relation to something which sometimes strikes me as very esoteric. and. Uh, found uh, and uh, in this context um, uh, the um, I hope yeah I find the other uh, how many here. books you got <laughs> as you can see I worked I worked I really had uh, felt extremely challenged and uh, and bring my notebooks and who knows what and uh, here it is, beginning with me after all these experiences that you heard about, another little rhyme, also from a Japanese uh, Zen writer, poet. Although, and I'm translating from the German, so it's a bit slow. Although not a Buddha, without the old fir tree stands there, totally oblivious to itself. So if you want to think of something that is adequate to a person reaching the 80th year of life, I think this it is. When you think of this is, if you think of, let's say, um, pictures that you will have seen of the group of seven of these uh, rocky islands in Georgian Bay, where there is just one fir tree standing on top, that's kind of the feeling that it gives me. And I think it is in that direction that I want to move. So an old fir tree is something like, it has weathered many storms and it's still there for the time being. And, um, and uh, um, it is, has lost branches. It is kind of reduced to a strong root and stem and uh, cannot branch out very much anymore. And so whether you've ever learned to humility or not, it's going to be demanded of you, no matter whether, whether you uh, have uh, feel like it or not. It's just the reality. 
So I thought of this and I thought, what is it that we need to be attentive to and that someone my age can perhaps convey a little bit to younger people? It is, when I take account of the context of the time, it is the acceptance of one's ordinariness. I did get another clue from something a long time ago, which was when he said, you should read a little bit of the holy teaching of Vimalakirti. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how to pronounce that again. That's Pali, I guess, that's from the time of the Buddha. And uh, it is about someone who is not a monk, who doesn't join the religious community, who lives an ordinary life, but is an incredibly formative teacher. And Buddha sends all his disciples to him. And they don't want to go, <laughs> but he makes them go. Now, I haven't studied this book carefully enough, so, you know, if someone can give us help beyond what I say, it's just very instructive because there is a special place for people who are not, let's say, necessarily part of the monastic community who have find their own way, etc. Uh, but he's obviously very closely connected because uh, the Buddha sends all his disciples to him. I wouldn't expect anyone to be sent to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yet I was speaking of why it is important uh, this, this this reconciliation uh, to the ordinary life, the, the, our ordinary humanity, because we live in times where there is an incredible reluctance to accept that. I don't know if you've ever read this, but I came across in a New York Times book review of uh, some of the thinking in Google. And there was a, one of the great leaders of, of, in, uh, the, of the um, research in artificial intelligence who said the worst insult, the greatest insult to us as human beings is death. Is death. Mm. So what does it say? It says he wants immortality. And he not only does he want that, he thinks they can do it. This is, to me, about the scariest, scariest thing I have read. If we can no longer die, the great philosopher Heidegger of my culture once said about this, our capacity to die is what makes us human. So, what this practice reminds me of is to, I mean, there are phrases uh, which uh, others can, and Sana in particular, can help us with, but something like no birth, or that, it, that is the integration of living and dying as one is so important in the face of this. How far this goes is when you see news reports, for example, the Toronto Star had just a couple of days ago something about, um, a man who should had a lot of experience with technology. Uh, I have the thing here in the modern materials here. And he said, um, uh, and he describes how this movement in artificial intelligence to how even people who initiated it, such as Steve Hawkins, the famous astrophysicist, uh, even uh, Gates, whom I don't really want to mention, but uh, someone else who has been a major researcher on artificial intelligence, they are worried where this is going. And when I think of uh, something that uh, another scholar who has written two extremely best-selling books 
has said recently, I'm getting even more scared. His name is, he is Israeli, and his name is not easy. So I'm trying to, there's a book called Sapiens, which is a worldwide bestseller. And there's a second one called Homo Deus, which is human being is God, uh, in which he, um, I can find the reference, in which he says that after spending a lot of time in Silicon Valley, that there, um, the work is being done, that algorithms are emerging, which are, I don't know, I'm not a te technical, I'm not skilled in those things, engineering of those kind of, which is more than engineering, not enormously developed computer science. Algorithms are formulas, intellectual formulas, which are not, in his classic, uh, he says, practically independent from the machines. And they move so fast, the speed at which they can assimilate information, that no human mind can keep up with them. And what is concluded by these people is that, in a way, and this is the, uh, this author's, um, I know if I have to find his name. Um, Um, uh, I'll find it later. I'm sorry, it's over being being over prepared is the problem. Too many sheets. Uh, Homo Deus. Uh, Yuval Noah Harani is a professor in Jerusalem. And the second book is called um, Homo Deus, now again a worldwide bestseller. Uh, and uh, he more or less says the algorithm of the future is in this, and his is a theory of evolution, which begins with the human, uh, the first pre-human beings learning to use sticks as tools, and then we move on to something that then is created by humans, but beyond humans. And the god of humans becomes something of their own creation, which is algorithm, which is pure intelligence, no feeling, no consciousness. Uh, I was just deadly scared when I read this. If this would be, he says, what will control, and this is in this article as well, control human affairs. That is, will human beings will be subjected to forces of their creation which they can no longer control. For those who know literature, like Goethe, Marlowe, and so on, uh, have written about this, the homunculus, the kind of, the, the, uh, the uh, sorcerer's apprentice who becomes independent uh, from the sorcerer and takes over uh, and assumes uh, control of things. And this is the kind of fear that even if someone like Hawkins expresses it, I pay attention and other people who are in these fields, and they say, this has gone too far. It may have gone so far that it is unstoppable, but we, I think, can still build up resources which have to build around a deep sense from this practice, from other ways, of the ordinariness of human beings, to be comfortable with our ordinariness, including our mortality, including all the fragilities that we have, including, um, let's say, also well, all the limitations and not to be afraid of them.
And that is what Rilke came through at the end of these very elaborate poems in the last, more or less, that is a kind of reconciliation, even you know, through art, and it's beyond the inspiration by these higher beings, angels, to something that is just like you and me. And we can be comfortable with that. At 80, I'm more comfortable than ever. <laughs> as long as I don't have too many back pains and so on. Thank you.